Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Trudy Schroeder understands the intrinsic value of the arts and music in particular. As executive director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, Trudy leads a team of passionate people bringing world-class music to audiences that puts Winnipeg on the map. I think in every community where you can see a community that that has invested in creating a really beautiful and wonderful concert hall. It says something so hopeful and optimistic about the capacity of, and the values of that community. It's creating a communal space, um, often architecturally important, and a place where the music can absolutely shine and and bloom and, and be glorious the way it's meant to be. I sat down with Trudy Schroeder from the WSO to talk about the importance of music and art in every community, the value of human connection, and what the new normal will mean for live music and for her organization in a post-COVID world. Trudy Schroeder, Executive Director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, thank you for joining us on the Because and Effect podcast. It's great to see you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, it's great to see you over Zoom. Uh, we do all our meetings at the Winnipeg Foundation over Zoom. I'm wondering if you guys at the WSO are kind of like, how how's the how's the COVID uh, situation been for you guys? How have you been handling things? How many Zoom calls are you doing? And just maybe reflect a little bit on what the last two, three months have been like for you guys. Well, in this business, the, the, the COVID-19 has been um, traumatic in, in, a, in a huge way. So you hear about it sort of bit by bit, but this is one of the industries that is completely stopped by, by COVID-19, uh, that we can't gather our orchestra members. The, the 67 members can't be in the same place to rehearse. We can't gather. Our, our whole business is about gathering people and pulling people together to make music. And it's, um, it's music that is made in company with others. You know, that it's not like a solo Person. It's 67 people working together and they work very hard and they're, you know, blowing and, you know, bullying and doing all sorts of things that, that they can't do in proximity to each other these days. You know, can they or can't they? I mean, it's, it's, um, well, anyway, the restrictions are that we can't. And even, even if in Manitoba, we, we have very little infection. It, I mean, we, we follow by the same guidelines as everybody else. So orchestras around the world have just have just been stopped from the biggest, uh, the biggest organizations like the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra stopped, uh, the New York Philharmonic, everybody is just stopped. We're all sort of in this huge uh, trauma. And that is um, kind of unbelievable, right? Well, it's uh, unprecedented too, right? Because that this, I mean, nothing like this has happened in my life for sure. Has there has there ever been anything in your professional like life? This has ever happened? Period. I don't <laughs> think anything like this has ever happened. Right. I mean, there can be different kinds of infections that you deal with in different ways, but that it's it's kind of an infection of proximity. Right. At, at this level, uh, it's it's not. Um, you know, you think about about even sort of when we started hearing about AIDS you know, sort of in, in the 80s. And at first people really didn't know. But then a after a while it became clear that, you know, there were, there were very specific ways in which, the, in which the, the virus was transferred. And so generally speaking, people didn't have to be sort of, you know, overly cautious either in crowds or with other people or even with people with AIDS, you know, that, 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 you, would, that you would know that you could be safe. With this one so far, there's just, 
this whole sense that 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 merely breathing, uh, <laughs> and certainly breathing when you're singing or when you're when you're playing a flute or playing a a, a trumpet can be excessively dangerous to, to the people around you. Right, for sure. So, how are you guys using technology? technology to get around things are you at all are people still able to rehearse in any way technology because there's well, you know what not really i mean we're at the stage now where small ensembles can get together right with the restrictions that are we can have we can have quartets or or sort of a, a 10 10 people sort of together and so we've we've done different kinds of recital series uh recitals we're doing at home concerts we're doing sort of online concerts we're we're doing some of those sort of isolation sort of videos. In fact, we have quite a, a wonderful one coming out on, I believe it's the 27th, which is what is that? That's, uh, that's Saturday. We have this excellent uh, uh, sort of a tribute to Manitoba because it's Manitoba's 150th anniversary. We had all these great projects planned. I mean, we, for the first time in the 72 years of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, had um, a European tour planned. We were going to go to um, commemorate the the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the Netherlands, in which actually Manitoba, you know, sort of troops were very involved, and so it was a going to be a real tribute both to Manitobans and the 75 anniversaries, and also the 150th anniversary of Manitoba. You know, it's um, wow. it's been it's been actually devastating. It, sure. it is it is an existential crisis for orchestras and arts organizations, theaters. You know, how, how does a professional dance, I mean, one of our big partners is the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. How do you have social distance, you know, sort of ballet, sort mm -hmm. of, you can have all kinds of people just dancing by themselves on the, you know, on the <laughs> stage. And, you know, if it's time for one yeah. of those fancy pas de deux where the man lifts the woman, it's just like, bend for yourself, jump in the air, do it yourself. We can't do this, you know, sort of, it, it, it's, um, you know, really, it could hardly be worse. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, so are you talking to other EDs and other people who are running arts organizations? And what's the general sense? Because obviously no one can kind of congregate or get together. So what what is the general emotional responses when you're dealing with other, when you're talking to other people running similar organizations like the, like the WSO? You know, it varies uh, depending on the location of the, of the orchestra or the arts organization. There are certainly in Quebec and Ontario, Eastern Ontario, the, the areas that are hardest hit in Canada, there's, uh, there is increasingly uh, uh, a level of, 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 of consternation and, and, uh, and, and crisis that, that, is, that is not going away. There really is not a sense of when this will be over uh, and how you move, how you move past this, and even the largest of organizations, how do you restart when uh, everything came to such an abrupt halt? And are are these are organizations that don't have huge war chests, uh, don't have a massive amounts of, of of capital put aside to sort of uh, you know get them through really tough times. I mean, on the positive side, on the positive side. There are such notes of um, and expressions of goodwill from our um, from our supporters, from people who've loved the orchestra for many years, from people who are making donations, the longtime donors who are doubling their donations because they say, "We know this is like this is the worst of times for you. We want to encourage you. We want you to be there. We want um, you to still be here when it's possible for you to perform to play again." Right. Right. So this is this is um, this is massively 
potentially massively disruptive for our for sure, for sure it is and has been um it's making me reflect on how important art is you know how many concerts i'm watching from old dvds that i have or how many netflix um you know series i'm starting or you're you're realizing how, how many new albums i'm buying you're realizing that the artists are the things that keep us going through these tough times so when we don't have that ability to come together for a live show i feel like people are just clamoring for it i know i am for sure to, to see some live music and stuff so what's the plan moving forward when we finally can get things back going and what do you see as some of the biggest challenges moving forward once once we're able to sort of get back to a new normal well i mean that whole new normal idea is <laughs> is, is i mean I, I you know it sounds as though it, it's going to be changeable almost you know we ha we're having these concurrent issues in a way as well i think about the climate as well right mm -hmm. i mean what it, it, i mean apparently in 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 world history this period of the last you know, has been uncommonly settled for the for the for the climate, and uh, and that over the history of the you know the physical Earth, it's been much more normal for there to be for it to be much more changeable than it has been in this period of of human habitation. And so, once yeah, you know, and so I think about about the COVID crisis and and um, you know how how do how do we how do we resolve ourselves? How do, how do we move forward in a way that's in a way that's safe? You have to believe. You have to be hopeful mm -hmm. that there will be a vaccine. That there will be ways that we find to to live with this. Although you look at AIDS, and there still isn't. A, you know, a, a, there is not a quick fix. There is not mm -hmm. something you can take to to prevent. And, and actually, many other diseases as well. Even something um, something like um, um, diabetes. Right. I mean, you would think that after this time, there would be some way to just like, yes, yes, insulin, you know, taking insulin helps, mm -hmm. but it's still a pretty devastating thing. No, no cure, but there is treatment for these things. Yeah, no for cure, sure. but there is treatment, but the treatment itself is, you know, expensive and problematic and, mm -hmm. you know, all, all kinds of issues. So mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, I don't want to be depressing and I don't want to stay in, in, in that zone, you know, even for this conversation. But um we know the people, I mean, on the hopeful side, we know that people need music. We know that there is something intrinsically humanizing and valuable about the whole scope and the whole breadth of music. So, so when I think about how we connect to our humanity and how we connect to sort of uh, values that are, are universal and we, we connect to our history as human beings, music is one of those really great ways, right? I mean, and, and the arts are period. So if we, no matter what our culture is, if, if we stand in front of great works of human creation, it, it in, it, it's inspiring, it's transformative, it's uh, entertaining, it's, it's sometimes amusing, it's sometimes, uh, it, it, brings you to, it brings you to a new space. So I find, you know, that whole business of, of, of sort of both contemporary musical, musical arts, so whether it's, you know, whether it's jazz or hip hop or folk or, or whatever the genre, the, 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 or, or, or symphonic, new symphonic music, as we have in our new music festival. All of this, the, the current music is so important, as is that repository of human history of, of great music that, mm -hmm. um, that, that, for example, we were planning this um, on, on April 24th, just before we went to the Netherlands to have a concert with um, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. 
Well, that, yes, in a way, it's cliche, da-da-da-da, you know, everybody can, oh, yeah. But when you actually listen to the work, I mean, it's immensely complex. It has, you know, themes and beautiful moments in movement that, that, that every time you listen to it, you hear something different. Even if you've listened to it dozens, hundreds, 50 times, you still hear something there and you go, oh, you know, isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that, doesn't that evoke feeling, you know, just sort of either a sense of peace or a sense of inspiration or, uh, so those are the great masterworks. I mean, that, that, that our ability to, to um, engage with those and particularly with music where you can, where, where, yes, the work of art itself might be hundreds of years old, but the performance is brand new, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're almost in this unusual opportunity to, to, to be both in a historical moment, but in a current moment, be both at a point of, 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 of current creation and past creation at the same time. And it allows you into the, into the minds of, of genius of another, of another era. Very well said. Very poetic. I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. One thing you didn't mention, well, you mentioned entertainment and, you know, well, wellness, but music can heal too. And I think maybe not, not, you know, we are a very sick community right now because we're not able to be together and, you know, hug each other and, 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 you know, be with our families and, and, you know, hug grandma and grandpa if you, if, if you can. So, how are you hoping that the community can rally back together, potentially at a WSO show, potentially in other ways surrounding the arts community? But how, how important is that community to get better and to get to better together moving forward? Well, music does heal. Let, let, let me go back to that first. I mean, the presence of, of, of people and music does change the way your brain works. It does sort of light up different parts of your brain and different parts of your memory in, in ways that, that can be can be very transformative for an individual. So for example, we have people come to the, the concert hall with parents who are suffering with memory issues or sort of a little bit of Alzheimer's or different kinds of illness. And the experience of being in the hall and listening to music sort of brings them to a better a better state that they're more uh, lucid or that they remember better or that it calms them down or that it that it brings back at least you know momentarily the person that 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 was you know somewhat lost it's mm -hmm. um it, it's it's quite a beautiful thing i know that uh, i i had my father my father had uh, parkinson's disease and he was deteriorating uh, somewhat i brought him to a concert of music that he knew and after the concert, it was astounding. It, it, I had a conversation with him that I hadn't had for years because mm -hmm. his brain had been stimulated and it brought back memories and it brought back sort of a kind of um, uh, experience with him that I, that I hadn't had in probably a decade. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of personal experiences that people have. Like I love to see people coming to concerts with their parents or grandparents coming to concerts with their children. Uh, with their grandchildren. I mean, I know so many people walk up to me in the front hall and say, you know what, I, 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 I started coming to the concert with my grandma, with grandma when I was little. Mm -hmm. And so every time I come, I think of her. Well, and, and, they're, and they're adults now, but still that connection with people and that, that experience that they had with someone they loved is powerful in a whole bunch of ways. Right. Yeah. So, so how do we move back to that? Well, there are a whole bunch of ways, of course. We're, we're looking at ways of, you know, 
and in concert halls in Europe, they are starting to have concerts. I mean, it is pretty ridiculous. <clears throat> so I hear that in Amsterdam, for example, they started having concert in, in the concert about one of the places that we were going to be performing in this spring. And, uh, and so they have the whole, well, I mean, whatever amount of orchestra they can get on socially distancing onto the stage, which might be 30 or 40 people. So, so it's two things, right? It's the safety of the musicians mm -hmm. who are working in close proximity to each other. So how do you keep them safe? And how do you keep the audience safe? So they had the, they had the, uh, the, uh, the orchestra on stage or as many of them as they could get. And then in this whole big hall, they had 40 people. <laughs> and that was their sellout. And uh, it's kind of the joke that they're, that they're sort of, you know, passing around, you know, you sort of, here is a sold out performance at La Scala, which is the big, you know, sort of opera house in Milan. And you see sort of two opera singers on the stage, and then sort of these few little people scattered around the hall and you go, yep, that's a sellout for sure. Wow. I mean, the problem is that it isn't economically viable. Mm -hmm. you, you can do it as a startup, but you have to at a certain point in order to make it make sense for there to be 67 musicians on a stage, you, you need to have, you need to have a minimum of a thousand people there for it to be, for it to make sense. How long will it be before we can safely have a thousand people in a hall for an extended period of time? That is a very good question uh, that no one at this point can, can, can answer. In the interim, we can start doing things that are, that are smaller scale. We, can, we have a plans for starting. What we want to do is we want to shape our season based on the season that we had and, and adapt it so that no matter what the restrictions are at that point, we can offer something mm. for somebody. We know that there will be some people who will be very nervous about, about returning to the hall and that is absolutely fine. People should come back when they want to come back. Uh, but, but there are some people who uh, particularly in a place like Manitoba, where there is, you know, very little virus at this point, uh, where people obviously still have to be careful, but where realistically speaking, for most of us, your chance of encountering the virus are not super big. Uh, although like we can, you know, as we see in so many other places, all it takes is sort of a couple of people mm -hmm. inadvertently coming from somewhere and then it, it all changes. Yeah. But for now, we, we would be thinking of, of, of starting a season. If we can have 10 people on stage, we will have 10 people on stage and 40 people in the audience. If we can have 500 in the audience, that becomes better. They will be socially distanced and we'll be selling tickets and having people come through a full range of different doors so that they're not sort of crisscrossing too much in the lobby. I mean, mm -hmm. we've, we've taken all sorts of measures to actually create a plan so that when we can open, which we hope we will be able to do, like our, our season was supposed to start September 24th, we hope that we'll be able to do something around that time of year. I mean, right. we, we, we will already be doing different kinds of things over the course of the summer. So you will see um, ensembles of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra in different locations over the course of the summer, either being taped, and you can see a lot of the kinds of projects we've been working on on our our Facebook page or on our website. There are just a whole series of things you can, you can, you can, that can connect you with the orchestra now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's gonna have to. Yeah, I, yeah. I should say that in a very hopeful kind of note, we have retained, and, and I, I, I'm imagining that over the course of the fall, it will be a little sketchy. It'll be a little tentative to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I am suspecting that by the time we get to January, it's a little more normal and that you know, potentially by the time we get 
to May of next year, we've got a really, uh, a really uh, relatively normal kind of situation again. That's, that's, that's what I'm predicting, of course. I am not an infectious disease expert. <laughs> For sure. No, nor am I. Is there anything you're looking forward to? You're really excited about about the upcoming season? I mean, this is this is going to be a very difficult time, obviously challenging time, but there's also opportunity there to, to try new things and do, and, you know, having those little quartets going out or whatever it is. So what, what are you most excited or optimistic about for the next year of your uh, tenure? Well, I mean, you know, as you say, in a crisis, there is also opportunity. There's opportunity to experiment. There's opportunity to use the time and the services of the musicians. Our goal is to actually have an orchestra, you know, in a year. Right, right now, I'm sort of thinking in three-month chunks in terms mm -hmm. of planning. But, but the goal for the organization is that that at the end of, of, of sort of a year, we still have a we still have an orchestra, and uh, and that that we're able to keep people, you know, without too much uh, financial hardship that we're able to keep them sort of going over the course of this year with the expectation that we'll be able to return to something like our normal operations for the for the following year. Um, so what, what, what do I hope for? You know what, it allows us to explore a repertoire that we normally don't don't perform very often. It allows us to, um, to hear. So well, one major thing is, because of the travel restrictions and the whole need to sort of self-isolate, we've looked at, at certainly the fall and thought, you know what, we can't, we, we, we base our shows often around sort of um, guest artists who travel in from different places, right? Mm. So, so our first group was going to be coming in from largely from New York City. Well, I mean, you know what, that actually, that would mean that they'd have to come here two weeks in advance. I, we'd have to pay for them to stay in a hotel for two weeks. Then they perform for, for a night or two nights, and then then they go back somewhere and isolate for well that actually doesn't work. Like mm -hmm. that is that is not gonna that is not gonna be functional for us. So um, what we what what we're thinking now is that what we will do is have we will have a, a, a season that is based on Manitoba. Like it will be mm -hmm. a chance to really celebrate um, the musicians in the orchestra, uh, both as soloists and as, as members of the ensemble, do do repertoire that maybe we don't usually do, and also to uh, um, to explore different configurations within the orchestra as well that we 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 normally because if you're paying for 67 musicians, you usually use all 67 because hey, you're paying. I mean, it's Manitoba, you're paying for 67, or we use 67. Well, maybe this time we can't use 67, so maybe. Maybe we will hear more of just the brass section playing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, an exciting concert of works or, or the woodwinds or, or the strings or, you know, perhaps more Baroque music, perhaps more uh, ensemble music of different types. I think there are endless opportunities. And I look at the, um, the, the, uh, our, our artistic planning team and our music director put together actually five different scenarios of different size, you know, sort of potential for every single concert that we're planning. There are now five different parts. They've been working terribly hard to pull this together. And um, and in a way, in a way there's repertoire there that that for a true music lover is is um, well I say it's like it's sort of like catnip. Like it's mm. it's an unprecedented idea to hear things from the corner of music corners of music repertoire that perhaps we haven't usually been able to explore. And so if you truly love music, you're going to want to uh, you're going to want to um, participate in this. I mean, I even love an idea of uh, uh, 
an orchestra that I saw where they, they were doing individual concerts where they'd pick one musician and they'd pick one audience member. The audience member sits in a chair sort of 15 feet away and the one musician just plays a whole concert of solo flute music for that person in the chair. That'd be intense. <laughs> That'd be very intense, but you know, probably very powerful, right? Oh, for sure. So very just well. Kind of, just kind of a different audience musician engagement opportunity that, that is just kind of remarkable. And probably pretty memorable for that one. Uh, probably pretty memorable for that one uh, audience member as well, right? So, I mean, yeah, and probably for the performer as well, because usually as a performer, you you look out and you sort of see this sort of sea of people out there, and you don't really think about the individual person. You go out there, and there's kind of a an audience, mm-hmm. and you can't really see them that well because of the stage lights and because of the dark and because of of everything. And so you're you're performing, but you're kind of alone. If you were performing one to one, it would be different. That's definitely crazy. I mean, you must be a music lover too. If you had a career as running the Winnipeg Folk Fest and now you're running the WSO, like, what was that transition like? How come you switched? And and maybe talk a little bit about your time at the at the Folk Fest and and what you took from that to this new job as well. Well, I had ten years at the Folk Festival. It, I started there in in uh, nineteen uh, May of nineteen ninety nine and uh, finished in uh, the, the just after the festival in 2008 and I, I, I loved it. I had attended the folk festival you know in its early days in in the 70s as a you know as a young person and then then left the province actually and on returning to Winnipeg we uh, well well you, you know you, you, I, you know I came back I'd gotten into the field of arts management I I had a background in music. I'd been, you know, sort of singing and playing instruments and being in choirs and and all of that sort of thing as as a young person. And actually, one of the most uh, transformative things for me in terms of developing as a musician was I, I had a chance to study with a member of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. I, I um, and and for young people who are musically inclined. To have the opportunity to study not with a person who just knows music, but a person who um, knows music at, at a very high professional level, and you know that that level of skill and of passion for an instrument or passion for music is very very different uh, from from studying with someone who's just trying to make twenty bucks an hour or something, sort of teaching you piano in a very um, mediocre kind of way shall we say mm-hmm. not that all piano teachers are mediocre they are not i mean they are absolutely not but 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 for me the experience of studying at clarinet with ted Oyen, who was the principal at clarinetist at the time just absolutely changed the way i i thought about music and listened to music and thought about phrasing and uh, as many of our our well, all of our our musicians in the orchestra all of them have a private teaching practice uh, in addition to playing in the orchestra. So those 67 people, many of them are teaching the students at the University of Manitoba in the music school, specialized instruments. So everything cool. from tuba to flute to, to viola, they're, they're, they're teaching there. So they've got, you know, very fine students studying with them, but they all have sort of younger people. So for example, Gwen Hobig, our concert master, has become quite a specialist in teaching very, very young violinists. So, mm. you know, having a, an excellent teacher when you are four, five, six years old, which is when people have to start studying a violin, um, 
having having someone like Gwen Hoban teach you how to how to become a violinist that I'm sure most of the kids who study with her don't actually understand how amazing the opportunity is. <laughs> but your musical life will be transformed by exposure to a person who has such extraordinary skills. And they're living it too. It's not like this is just a job. That's their life. That instrument becomes like intertwined with them. They probably take it everywhere. They play it every day. You know, it's different than someone who just strums the guitar every couple hours once in a while. But yeah, for sure. Sure. And if you look up, I mean, they have different kinds of of, of um, pandemic projects. For example, our uh, associate principal, Carl Stobie, has been... Um, memorizing and learning all of the Bach partitas and then uh, then performing them on, on YouTube. So if you look up Carl Stoby, you'll see kind of this incredible repository. I mean, he just recorded it in his home. So it's not, you know, sort of the usual kinds of recording levels that he would have. But there's something really beautiful about um, the way he's used his time to learn this really great work and then preserve it for us or share it with us, mm -hmm. share it with the people in the community. Uh, in a way that's um, very inspiring, I think. Mm -hmm. And probably pretty raw, too, like not super polished, you know. I mean, obviously it's polished, but as far as the recording quality is concerned, it's very raw, it's very real, it's very, like, in-your-face, very, very typical of YouTube, right? Like, it's just DIY, do it yourself, and share it with the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, there, there are the real moments of beauty that have come out of this, and I think... You know, interesting testaments to the people and the way they um, manage themselves and manage their art forms and their experience of this mm -hmm. of this strange time. Right. Well, Trudy, at the end of our time together, I ask the same seven questions to all of my guests. I call it the Just Because segment, where it's the same seven questions, just rapid fire. Don't think about it too much. Are you okay to do that for us? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay, great. Question one is, what is the very first cause you actually ever remember caring about? Caring about? Well, the first cause I remember participating in is UNICEF, you know, when mm -hmm. we had the little orange boxes and, and we had this sense that we were collecting money. And I think I should have known that I'd end up like working in the, you know, in the, in the, for pro the not-for-profit side because I was more excited about the money that I could give to the poor children somewhere than I was about the candies I would I would collect. I thought there was so it was so cool that people would put money into this little box that I was carrying around and that it could help people. So that's the first pause I remember thinking about. But I also remember in I think it was Pioneer Girls, like a girls club that I attended, one of the leaders did a section with us on 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 giving, on philanthropy. And and she encouraged all of us, and I think we were maybe in grade grade four or grade five, to take our own money and contribute it to some special project we had. To, I think to provide school supplies for children in or girls in 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 I don't know India or Africa or something. And 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 she just like part of what she's trying to teach us is sort of the personal value or the personal um, the personal discipline of philanthropy and actually you know, what it does for us. And I, I found, well, I thought, okay, well, I would, I would, you know, try to give sort of a portion of what I earned from, I think it was babysitting where I get a flyer route or something like that. And so I gave a portion of, of the money and sort of that release, that being able to actually release dollars, even when you have your kid, you don't have a ton of money, but giving it away, there was something actually profoundly changing in the process of, of giving and, and also, um, I found that the more I gave somehow, almost miraculously, the more money I kept making. It's it, it was almost it, and, and 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 I mean I've had I've I've had other people say that too is that 
when they're feeling particularly financially stressed, what they make themselves do is make a, a, a substantial gift to an organization or cause that they care about. And somehow they find that in that giving away, when they're at a point of, of personal financial concern, the, 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 the being able to give when you, when you are not feeling in the most, the position that you'd most want to feel generous, that that process almost seems to change your whole circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it might be something to do with, uh, you know, might be something to do with the stresses of money or fabricated internally right so when you can say actually i do have enough you know i'm i'm thinking i don't have enough but we do have enough and i have so much enough so much that i can even share with others and then that kind of okay maybe the stresses weren't quite as bad as i you know the bills the bills will get paid you know you don't, you don't have to worry too much about it i mean well, exactly yeah. yeah yeah that that part partly um the process of of being generous creates a kind of of, of generous spirit that perhaps mm. actually also changes our experience of our, our, our current circumstances. And also maybe it puts us in a more positive state of mind where more positive things happen to us as well. I don't, I don't know, but I do think, you know, or this whole idea of karma, right? That there, mm. that there is a connection in this world and that in the end, um, the good that you do comes back to you in, 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 in sometimes surprising ways, right? Not, not a way that you would necessarily expect. It's not like, you know, it's not like it's a magic formula, but I think it, there is something transformative about about generosity. Agreed. Uh, that 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 the transformative process of generosity um, is indeed one of those one of those uh, remarkably human things that that people should experience. They should they should experiment with it and and understand. Like not that it's a not that it's a you know, a magic get quick fix or something along that line, but it is transformative. And that journey to generosity is perhaps one of the most profoundly human things that, uh, that we can experience thinking mm-hmm. of others. Right. Yeah. Just, it's part of a, part of a good, wholesome, full life is being generous, being gra- being gracious, being, having gratitude. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so question two, if money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all for you and you can just Snap your fingers and something would happen. What's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? You know what? I would build a beautiful new concert hall for the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Orchestra. It is, I think, such a profound statement for a community to, 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 uh, to build something that, that, that is both architecturally beautiful and that considers the beauty of sound. Like there, I, I think in every community where you can see a community that that has invested in creating a really beautiful and wonderful concert hall. It says something so hopeful and optimistic about the capacity of, and the values of that community. It's creating a communal space, um, often architecturally important, and a place where the music can absolutely shine and, and bloom and, and be glorious the way it's meant to be. Uh, I would say it's something that that our community needs. And boy, if I suddenly had the, the, the capacity to do that, that is what I would do. <laughs> I love your word choice. It's so poetic. It's it's wonderful to hear you speak. Thank you. Great answer. Uh, question three: What's the biggest misunderstanding or the stigma about your cause? Uh, you know, I think that that uh, that symphonic music is elitist. It, mm. it really is is such a generous art form that you can approach on every kind of level and from every kind of culture. Uh, the the uh, 
the complexity of the music is our brains crave that. And in complex times, exposing your brain to complex music that has many moving parts and structure that is, uh, that is more than four lines that are repetitive <laughs> is immensely important to, to our well-being. It certainly, it certainly is, is, is gratifying. And the thing about great art is that it's not, um, it's not as culture specific as you would think. Like people say, oh, mm. it's a Western art form. Well, you know, the roots are there, but the language, it's, it's, a, it's an international language that's embraced by people from all cultures. And so the more we can learn that, that, that language and the more we can actually incorporate as music progresses as well, the languages and sounds from other cultures, I believe that there is capacity there to, to embrace, you know, every culture and every background and every sort of economic strata that, that it is possible. And the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra has, you know, we have, we have ways to make it possible for, for people of all income levels to attend. So for, for youth under 30, there are $15 tickets for people who are, uh, who are engaged with a, with a community organization that, and, and they have even no money or they have different kinds of sort of challenges or disabilities or whatever. We have a Share the Music program that distributes more than 5,000 tickets for free within the community so that groups and individuals who might not be able to afford it can attend. We do a lot of work in the, um, in the, in the inner city, our Sistema program. It's a, it's a program for, to teach um, uh, ch children in, in our inner city connected with the school. So we have, have two, two sites now. Um, uh, um, Elwick School and King Edward School on uh, Selkirk Avenue. We have 150 children a year who are every day learning three hours of, they're spending three hours a day learning music. They're developing incredible skills and it's transformative work. This is transforming the lives of these children and their families. And, and, and I so, so when I watch a group of, of sort of um, inner city Winnipeg kids uh, playing, um, playing, you know, Bach, and you can see that they absolutely are loving it. They they realize, as do musicians everywhere, that Bach is just this incredible, purifying, powerful force. And and uh, and there are children of every of of every um, kind of race. And it, I mean, it's sort of you know, it's definitely uh, you know as about as multicultural as you can possibly get. And yet the joy in the music is there, or a theme from Vivaldi, or or, or, or a work, um, you know, we'll take folk songs as well from, from different parts of Canada and different parts of the world. Wow, it's totally exciting what that can do. And it, that program will have a lasting impact on, on our community and on the children who've been able to participate in it. If anything, I mean, it needs to grow. Music is one of, if not the only universal unifier, like everywhere you go, they got music everywhere. Every person you talk to likes music. No one's like, mm, I'm not a big music fan. It's like, what? No <laughs> one says that. There yeah. are a few of those. <laughs> wow. They just haven't heard the right song then. Question well, four. People, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Question four. What is a time in your life where you had to pivot because plan A wasn't working out? That's almost every day. Um, you mean you mean in in my personal life plan? Personal or professional or anything? It, it... And, uh, you know, attached to moves. Really, uh, in you know, in my in my life, that that sometimes you 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 move to a new location and and it does provide you with an opportunity uh, to think about your life and what you're doing and what you maybe should be doing. 
and what you uh, what how you can use your skills in a new way. And those are those are pivot points. So when mm-hmm. when I, I left Winnipeg, I ended up living in Quebec City for a period of time, and then rather abruptly, we had to move to Cornwall, Ontario, which is you know. So then you say, okay, uh, how do I use the skills that I have to work in this community? And then eventually, when, you know, sort of 18 years after I left, I moved back to Winnipeg. And once again, it was one of those stock-taking moments. Like, okay, I, I've been working in, in the arts and in arts management and policy for, uh, you know, in different places. How could that be useful here in Winnipeg? And, mm. uh, you know, eventually, and it gets back to the question you asked earlier, it, it took me to the Folk Festival. Um, and that was a profoundly transformative experience for me in a... Uh, and people say, well, how do you make a transition from working at the folk festival to working at a symphony orchestra? They're very different things. Well, not really. They're they're both great music. I mean, I think I think at the heart, I'm a, I'm a community activist. I'm a community transformation person. I believe in the value of community, and the and the importance of uh, music to actually be a tool for societal change. And I think the folk festival is one of those places. It's life transforming for people. It's part of people's lives. It's part of something that, I mean, I love that people would come every year and they'd, they'd, they'd bring their children and they'd bring their grandchildren. People have the stories of their lives. The art isn't separated from the big moments of their lives. It's, 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 it's integral to their experience of the music, but they, they also remember that's the first year they were there with you know the love of their life. That's the first year. Uh, it was really funny. The number of sort of young people that would come up to me when I was there and say, you know what, I have attended the folk festival every year of my life. In fact, I think I was conceived here. So this is these are these are good stories about you know about our community, and I love the way our community works together. Like I, the the power of the volunteers there was endlessly endlessly inspiring, mm-hmm. and so I I am I eventually. Um, I was approached by the symphony to see if I would want to, at, at about the 10-year mark at the, at the, at the Folk Festival, um, the symphony had been having a lot of uh, turmoil, and, and they were looking for a new executive director. And they, when I got here to the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra in 2008, um, um, the assistant that I have said, well, uh, Trudy, I, I've been working here eight years, and you're my 14th executive director. Ooh. So what does that say about an organization? What does that uh, mean when, it, when an organization is changing executive director that many times? Is that... No stability. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things need a lot of work. <laughs> and I think I've really enjoyed the 12 years. I've, been, I've loved the challenge of it. I've loved the people. I've loved the music. I have, I have um, seen a, a, you know, a different part of our community. There are many more things that you can do sort of year round. I, 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 as I say, I, I totally loved my years with the Winnipeg Folk Festival and I have totally loved my years here. Very different kinds of work. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is complex in a, you know, in a whole other level of complexity right. because, because we are, are needing to actually sustain the livelihoods of 67 professional musicians all year, mm-hmm. all year round. Uh, and how do you actually pull together the resources and have the right kinds of projects and continue to build audiences and continue to build supporters and continue to have sponsors? It's it's unbelievably complicated and yet so rewarding. It's a lot for sure, definitely. Yeah, I can only imagine. Def- well, but from what I'm seeing, you're doing a pretty good job. So, yeah. 
Uh, so question five, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Well, on the career front, I guess I think of, um, uh, in the MBA program I did at U of M, uh, Kevin Cavanaugh, who has just, has just died in the last uh, week, he, uh, he came and he did, he uh, took a course called the CEO course. And there were a number of, of Winnipeg business leaders who came and talked about their lives and their career and how you can think about your life. And one of the things he said is, when you start a career, always look to the people and the way people work who are in the senior offices. Like never go into anything that you do trying to do the minimum. Always try to do the maximum. You know, it, it's always try to actually emulate sort of the work habits and the and the approach to work that people who are leading the organization um, exhibit uh, because it it transforms your work right from right from when you're starting your career uh, and and um, I mean I was I was I was already sort of I was already working at the folk festival but I just thought about that attitude of, of um, embracing embracing your work and loving mm. your work really feeling passionate about your work there's no reason that our work should be um sort of some uncomfortable sideline for what we do we can we can in fact be engaged in our work as as part of the reason that we're here on you know if you find your purpose in life your your work is a part of your life in a very integrated way that yeah. that 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 um that makes it meaningful on a whole bunch of levels. What's that old quote that's something along the lines of, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, right? It doesn't feel like work when you're getting up and, well, I get to talk to people like you and put out a podcast and do cool events and you get to do what you love as well by the by the looks of it. Yeah, I get to talk to you. How are you like that? <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, question six. Uh, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to her right now? Hmm. Well, I, I would say, um, I'd say, you know what, live life adventurously. Um, take, take every opportunity, say yes. Say yes to opportunity, even if you can't quite figure out how it'll, how it'll work out. Say yes far more than you say no. Um, uh, you know, engage with people, trust people, uh, believe in the good in our world. And uh, make sure you have fun along the way. Yeah, even if it scares you, right? Some some big changes can be scary, but give her a go. You never know what will happen. Uh, last question. Thank you so much, Trudy, for doing this. This has been wonderful to talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. The last question is the, probably the hardest one, but it's what do you want to be remembered for? Hmm. Well, you know, for, for, um, for, for building organizations, for, uh, for, uh, for not just maintaining, but for actually helping organizations become stronger for leaving the places that I work with um, a little more able to uh, to manage in, in you know difficult times for opening doors for people to enjoy assets that are community assets so so really um, you know engaging like like helping organizations to engage with 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 their community in a in a transformed way progress by the sounds of it make make progress well connection i think the big connection. thing is not so much mm -hmm. progress but i would like to be uh, remembered as as uh, my legacy i would hope would be sort of a, a person who can 
help people connect with music, help people connect, uh, connect and discover music that they, that they can love. Beautiful. Well, it's a wonderful legacy to live up to. I think you're well on your way for sure. Trudy, thank you very much for talking to us on the podcast today. Trudy Schroeder, Executive Director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Where can people go to find out more information about the WSO, about all the upcoming events and mini events and streaming events and seasons that's that's coming down the pipe? Where can we where can we find more information? Look Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra on Facebook or our website, WSO.ca. Beautiful. Thanks again, Trudy, for uh, talking to us. We'll uh, and have a great rest of the post-COVID world, and uh, good luck to you and the WSO in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Trudy, uh, Trudy Schroeder for speaking with us today. Very well spoken and poetic and brilliant woman. Obviously, uh, it was great conversation and really feel uh, privileged to hear her perspective on things because it was a, a wonderful chat. Um, we're looking for more people to talk to. So if you or you have someone or you know someone that you think would be great on the podcast that's passionate about a cause and is really truly giving back to their community and trying to make this world a better place, let me know. Uh, I'm always looking for good people to talk to and if there's someone that you know isn't on my radar or if I, I, I can oh there's only so many hours in the day and I can only scroll through Twitter uh, you know a limited amount of time so it's an absolute gift for you if for me I mean if you can you know give me the name of someone who's doing good work in Winnipeg or across the country so uh, yeah thanks thanks in advance good people really need a platform and uh, we need to share those good news stories these days so hit me up wherever you can find me. I'm not a, not a hard guy to find. All music on the Because and Effect podcast, the music I am talking over right now, is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his wonderful, haunting, beautiful music at trentonburton.com. Because and Effect is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation. To hear all the episodes, you can visit becauseandeffect.org or just search Because and Effect anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN on all social media or go to www.wpgfdn.org for all the great Winnipeg Foundation news and upcoming events. I'm Nolan Bicknell. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll see you next week. And remember, without music, life would be a mistake. Bye-bye.